0: Hello and welcome to the three-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician, or a medical student first. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. I have an exciting guest to share with you today, somebody who went from a 2.7 GPA to now a first-year medical student at an allopathic medical school in New York. But before I jump into that, I want to talk to Dr. King Lee from Carl, Illinois College of Medicine about how they are looking at shaping their first class. So, Dr. Lee, as the dean of Carl Illinois College of Medicine at Carl Illinois, when you're looking at your first prospective class, how do you communicate to the admissions committee what your vision is for the class, for the grand scheme of things at Carl Illinois? How do you communicate those things to the admissions committee so that they understand the type of students that you hope are going to build the future of Carl Illinois?
1: We want the students to possess the quality that we are looking for, the four C's, right? Compassion, competence, curiosity, and creativity. And uh, they are using very innovative way of trying to assess that. For example, asking prospective students to actually do a profile, right? And answer questions on video. Uh, about, you know, how do they define compassion, for example, and give examples to support that they are compassionate and so on. And, uh, and another uh, major thing I want uh, our students to have is to be good team players, right, both in the active learning mode and also in being a good team player in helping us develop this uh, new curriculum uh, interactively. So their feedback is critical for us to keep on improving our curriculum. And lastly, I just want them to be potentially productive members of society that can make tremendous positive impact in the future. So that's all we can ask, right? as uh, educators.
0: Just to remind you, we did a full interview with Dr. Kingley back in session 256, so you can check that out at medicalschoolhq.net/256. AMCAS is now accepting the primary application for Carl Illinois College of Medicine. So go to AMCAS and add that school if you are applying this cycle. And don't forget if you're applying right now to start in 2018, The first class of 32 students is getting 100% free tuition. All right, so let's talk about our student today. 2.7 undergraduate GPA, took the MCAT multiple times, struggled multiple times, but was finally able to put it all together to tell her story in in her application and ultimately was accepted to medical school. So we talked to NECA, and heard about her journey. So let's go ahead and jump in and say hi. NECA, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: You are in medical school, excited, yes. and yes. going through the process. What what year are you now?
2: I'm a first year.
0: Your first year. And mm-hmm. how's it going?
2: Everything is moving very quickly. So <laughs> um, it is a lot of information. Yeah at us the
0: fire fire hydrant analogy perfect yeah
2: it's very real yes (laughs)
0: how how many how many uh how often are the tests
2: uh about every month
0: that's it wow uh
2: yeah our first our first unit was sort of split in two so the um the first half of the first unit was about three weeks and then the second half of the first unit was 4 weeks but they had separate exams associated with them and now we're in our third unit and it's about 5 weeks
0: yeah so. so being a medical student was not always a a sure bet for you do you remember when you reached out to me through email what what were you thinking when you reached out to me by email if you can remember that
2: uh so i I always wanted to be a doctor. I always wanted to be a, um, um, a physician and get to medical school. But as you said, there were a lot of things in my way. And um, when I reached out to you, I had finally gotten the opportunity to get all the documents I needed, um, those being my transcripts. So I got a hold of my transcripts and I had the second chance to apply to college since and. Are applied to medical school since 2010 and I wanted to do it right. And I didn't want to leave any holes in my application, given that my undergraduate GPA was low. Um, my third MCAT score, although better, um, was still, um, sort of in the average range.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and the prior two times of taking the MCAT wouldn't have helped me get in anywhere. So yeah. I wanted to make sure that with what I had, this application was airtight, and there was no nothing uh, room for yeah. yeah.
0: So you you went to a great undergrad school. You went to Cornell. Talk yeah. about your undergrad GPA and what knowing that you wanted to be a physician. What what was the cause of your struggles going through undergrad? Knowing, I, I'm assuming, knowing that you needed a good GPA to hopefully get into medical school?
2: Yeah, so um, I graduated from high school with really good grades. I was always an A student, and sciences came easy to me, and then I got to Cornell, and I don't know if it was the way, well, it obviously was the way that I was studying and the way that the, the material was like presented. It's much more in depth and my study skills from high school weren't going to cut it. And in addition to that, I was told early on in my freshman year, um, what I thought to do was already wrong. So I had piled up sciences on my academic plate wrong. Um, and the grades associated with my first semester were predictive in some faculty's eyes as already being Um, troublesome if I wanted to, to get into medical school. And um, so I found myself working very hard for a very long time with like remedial results. And I, I tried and tried to get my grades better, but um, I don't know. It was just really hard. Uh, The, the advising was lacking in um, undergrad and Mm -hmm. also the methods that I was using weren't weren't up to par. So uh I heard a lot like work smart, don't work hard, but I guess I never really understood what that looked like. Um and in trying in trying to improve, I didn't really sit down and assess what was wrong with how I was studying. So that's one thing. And then another thing is um Cornell University is in Ithaca, New York, and Ithaca, New York has uh, great opportunities for being involved both on student campus and off student campus in the community. And I found myself uh, programming and engaging um, in the student community and um, volunteering outside of school a lot. And it's something that made me feel good even though school didn't make me feel good. And I feel like my efforts and the balance that I had between academics and extracurriculars could have been better quite
0: honestly, so. Very common for for students, especially pre-meds, who think, oh, I, I need to volunteer, I need to have leadership, mm-hmm. I need to do all of this. And mm-hmm. so they start piling on. But it sounds like in your case, there was a, this extra piece of, this makes me feel good, I'm not doing well in classes, and so I'm kind of bummed out about that. So I'm gonna focus on what makes me feel good, which is a very common human response. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that yep. makes sense. Talk about the advising. Mm-hmm. You, you You mentioned going to your advisors and them kind of mentioning, Hey, you're, you're piling on your science and you're not doing well. So Mm -hmm. were they telling you that, that there was no chance you were going to get in at that point or were they offering advice on what to do to, to switch things up?
2: So there were, actually now that I think about it, since um, college was a long time ago, I was bounced around with an academic advising or academic advisor. There was a pre-medical advising Dean. So uh, to me, it seemed like she had a very clear cut formula as to what students are supposed to take the first semester, the second semester and how their grades are supposed to look. So if you didn't fit that formula, um, her advice wasn't very encouraging. So I decided early not to to listen to her. I (laughs) I did understand that um, some some advisors have uh, sort of a tough love approach. And because I didn't sit well with what she had to offer me, she basically told me, I'm probably not going to graduate pre-med and I'm probably not going to get to medical school unless I did things the way that she thought were appropriate. And to me, it seemed not helpful for the way that I wanted to take classes or where I wanted to be by the time I graduated. So talk, talk about I, that.
0: Talk about that for a second, because I think somebody hearing this may go, well, Neco was just being stubborn. What what was it specifically about what you wanted to do versus her advice?
2: Um, she basically told me that I couldn't do it. Um, and yeah, I was to be honest, I was being stubborn. But it was the same spirit of stubbornness that had gotten me to Cornell in the first place. Um, I remember applying to Cornell and a bunch of other schools, and my uh, high, school, high school counselors um, told me not to apply to those schools. I actually threw away my Cornell application. My mom found it in the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> and so she picked it up out of the garbage. And she yelled at me for it. And so I guess I carried that into Cornell. Like, you know, somebody tells me something that they see on paper, but they don't know who I am. They don't know what I'm capable of. So I was stubborn to disagree in her, to disagree with her and what she um, had to offer. But I knew how hard I was willing to work. So I decided to see a different um, advising dean. Okay. So on the college side, I think, um, I don't know how it worked if it were, it it was by major or so, but, um, there's another advisor that we're assigned, like a faculty advisor. And I had actually changed advisors three times and it got to the point where they didn't even have anything helpful to offer. I I guess it was helpful that they were checking in to see how I was doing, how I was faring, what I thought about classes. But, um, in terms of knowing when to, when to look for, um, anything associated with maybe a pre-med conference or anything associated with when to start studying for the MCAT, how to start studying for the MCAT, the different resources, I, I felt lost about it. And I wasn't sure if it was sort of like intentional or just the system was set up not to be informative you know Mm. what i mean yeah um i wasn't sure if maybe it was approached like okay her grades aren't the greatest so she shouldn't be focused on mcat she should be focused on grades she should be focused on maybe changing her major she should be be focused on not being pre-med like I'm, i'm not sure if that's why i never got um the information but navigating it on On the back end, seeing it now, navigating it in in undergrad was very tough, and I'm surprised that the information wasn't readily available, yeah, if that makes sense
0: no, it makes complete sense and yeah it's it's one of the big reasons why I have this podcast right <laughs> to to make the information readily available yes. for students yes. um, I
2: wish I had that in in college i I don't know I don't even know if the podcast app was a thing when I was in college. Like we had PDAs, not. no. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> because you, you graduated in 2008, the iPhone came out in 2007. So, yeah. a, And the first iPhone didn't have apps on it. And podcasts were a thing back then, but um, not, not like they are now. So that's good.
2: Looking... My first, second, third, fourth, fifth phone was not an iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Looking so
0: back. back on your undergraduate time, what would you have done differently?
2: What would I have done differently? Well, I wouldn't have applied to the College of Arts and Sciences. I think whenever I talk to somebody who's in the application process for, um, undergrad or, um, their pre-med, um, I know there is the rhetoric that you don't have to be a specific major Um, to be pre-med and you don't have to be a specific major if you want to be a physician. That's completely well and true. But I would say the best thing that any student can do is apply to a college where um, the advising is well-staffed for pre-medical students. And I think when I went to college, um, pre-medical advising was not, not available through the College of Arts and Sciences. I feel that other, other students in other colleges um, at Cornell had better advising and actually spent a bit of time trying to transfer out of arts and sciences. Hmm. The requirements were already like to graduate out of that college were a lot. And to somebody who already is trying to complete all pre- pre-medical requirements in undergrad, in addition to those arts and sciences requirements, it can be a little bit of a distraction, especially if you don't already know how to navigate the premed track. So,
0: yeah, and I think it's good advice for somebody who maybe is yet to transfer to a four-year school. Maybe they're in community college. Maybe you're a high school student listening to this. To if you are interested in doing a arts major, some sort. Going and asking those questions, because like, I, I, I want to be, I want to mm-hmm. be a history major, but I'm pre med. Am I allowed to use the the pre med advisors from the the sciences college and, mm-hmm. and getting those answers mm-hmm. first? Mm-hmm. I think that's good advice. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned earlier that you took the MCAT three times. Mm-hmm. What happened the first two times?
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. Hmm. So the first time I took the MCAT in some, I I don't remember what year, but we went on a, um, a trip as the black biomedical technical association at Cornell university. We went on a trip to upstate medical uh, university and, um, I won a free MCAT course. And so um, I tried taking it while I was in undergrad, and I didn't feel prepared with the content review. So I didn't end up um, using the materials that I had won until after I graduated. And um so I, I finally graduated from Cornell and I said, I'm gonna sit down and study for the MCAT, I'm gonna do the content review. And try to fill in the gaps where I felt I was missing from, um, like, intro bio, um, gen chem, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And really sit with the content. Um,
0: And I think that's important for somebody like you because mm -hmm. the the general consensus out there is that the MCAT's not a content-based test. But you need Mm -hmm. to know the content to do well on it. Mm -hmm. And for somebody like you that didn't have the strong foundation in your sciences with the poor GPA... Mm-hmm. Working on those that that content foundation, I think, was definitely an important step for you.
2: Right. So, um, I did sit down with the content, but I I'm looking back now, I know for a fact I did not spend enough time with questions. I guess I felt self conscious about um, my undergrad experience, and I transferred that to the way that I studied. So it was very content heavy, and I didn't really pay enough attention to analyzing why I got questions right, why I got questions wrong, mm-hmm. and um building up endurance on even taking questions. So the first time I took the Mcat, I got my score and I was like, okay. First time doing doing this and studying on my own, it wasn't shocking, but at the same time I felt like this is a place to improve upon and I can. It's only my first time. And Mm -hmm. I did it by myself. Yeah. So the second time I um, took the test, it was during my master's program. So my first score got me, God willing, into my uh, master's program. I did a master's of forensic science at Drexel university. um, And it was an 18 month program. And in the second year, there was a bit more time to dedicate to whatever you want to do. So, Uh, I guess more than a third of the class, maybe half the class was pre-med. So a lot of people were studying to take the MCAT um, individually because at that point, I don't know if it is now, but at that point, that particular master's program that functioned as a post-baccalaureate program for a lot of people was not explicitly post-baccalaureate pre-medical. So they didn't have resources for students to use. So again, I went back to the materials that I had. And I guess I did end up seeing a tutor um, offered by the school um, once or twice for some of the content review. And I thought in my heart that I was prepared. But then again, looking back after taking it a third time, I know I was not prepared because, again, I didn't spend enough time with questions.
0: Yeah. You actually got a lower score on your second test. And yes. this, this just for, for timing for people, this was back in
2: 2010. Yes. A couple
0: of years after you had graduated from college. Yes. Why? Um, so, so you get your score back, you, you score lower. Mm-hmm. At any point along this journey, did you go, why am I doing this? There's gotta be something <laughs> else for me to do.
2: Um, yeah, actually a lot. More often than not, I got bombarded with the question by loved ones, friends, family, everyone. It's like, why are you still doing this? And I'm, I had already done the exercise of imagining myself in a different role, still in healthcare, maybe outside of healthcare. I imagined all of these different scenarios where I wasn't a physician. And in my heart, I felt like I would probably still be trying to be a physician somehow. Either by extracurricularly taking classes or extracurricularly studying for the MCAT, which is eventually what I ended up doing. Um, so, yeah, long long story short, um, I got a lower score, and I think that had a lot to do with not sitting with questions uh, effectively mm-hmm. and test anxiety. Um, so,
0: okay, you you had applied to medical school already before getting right. your score back. With that application cycle, mm-hmm. did you get any interviews?
2: I didn't get anything. Um, didn't get anything. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> they just ignored you. <laughs> unfortunately, I gave and I gave and I gave. So I applied. <laughs> like you said, I I um, was studying while applying, and I took the exam and sent off uh, my scores without um, seeing them. Before, I, um, I sent off my uh, application without... Um, before receiving my scores, yeah, confident that, you know, everything was going to be a package. I have improved my grades.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I did very well in my master's program. So I was confident in that. And I felt that I was dedicating the amount of time that I needed to, to study. So I was uh, air quotes confident in the fact that I dedicated time to MCAT. I'll send off my scores, whatever they may be and hope for the best. Yeah, And, um, by the time they went out, I think I had started secondaries. So I spent a great deal of student money <laughs> um, applying, and I hadn't heard anything back. Um, so I checked my scores, and I saw that I did worse. And that was a very, very sad uh, time for me. I think I like stayed in bed for like two days. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was working in the lab, my um, P.I., um actually checked on me to see where where I was and I told her I had been sick um and when I came back to lab I told her what happened and she actually became sort of a sponsor for me and a mentor in ways because she believed in me too so with every time there was like a gut check of is this where you should be applying your efforts maybe you should do something else with your life there was always another reassuring voice that echoed what i felt internally and knew to be true that this was for me and i'm supposed to go to medical school so
0: who was guiding you along the way with your first application or were you just like this is just like applying to anything i'll just fill it all out and submit it
2: uh no i i relied on um Oh, at this point I had close friends. I don't think I had anybody in my immediate family yet, uh, who had been in medical school by this time, but I was relying on close friends who were in medical school, graduating from medical school around, uh, 2011, um, entering residency. So I relied on them and they were very anchoring and yet very encouraging. And I felt as though um, I had a better time with them as a circle of advisors than I did in undergrad trying to figure it out on on my own. So, um, yeah. Okay. So
0: So you didn't get in.
2: I didn't get in. <laughs> you didn't I get didn't in. get in. And they, <laughs> they they offered a very good support network when I was at, at that low, at that extreme low after the MCAT score, they were very supportive. Um, And we all worked together to see how I'm going to improve my MCAT score. Um, So I was very thankful to have them in my life. Unfortunately. You you took a
0: break in there for a while. What was going through your mind taking a break? Because I think a lot of students are at that point where, They've they've applied to medical school, didn't get any interviews, didn't get in. They've taken the MCAT a couple of times, and and I I think they're very common, very similar to you. That this is my dream to be a physician, and so they just they keep trying to swim upstream and mm-hmm. and keep making the same mistakes. And you decided to step back. What what was that decision to step back? Why did you make that?
2: Um, so I'm not sure if it was a decision more than like something being imposed externally on me. So the score that I got, um, at Drexel, um, and the application process that I went through during my master's program was what it was. But in my mind, because I had the proper support network to help me stay positive, I reached out to, uh, faculty and administration at Drexel to, um, find out if there was another post-baccalaureate program that I could participate in being that I did so well in my master's program. And I'm, it's a master's program that's not geared toward um, pre-medical students and getting students into medical school. So um, I actually got into their pre-med post-baccalaureate program, which was supposed to be two years to do basic science, um, to focus on, um, studying for the MCAT, which is what I needed. And I think I talked to, um, several different people in faculty and, um, my friends reassured me that it would look good to reinforce some of the, um, undergraduate classes by retaking them. Mm -hmm. Even though I had taken upper level, it'd be good to show that I have mastery of the intro, um, basic sciences. Makes sense. So, I got in, um, but unfortunately, there was some mix up or issue with Drexel and their financial aid so unfortunately um, I got kicked out of school. <laughs> <laughs> I got kicked out of school, or um, I was forced to um, sort re-evicted. of withdraw from that, yeah, from that <laughs> um, early within the first I had already taken a class, but within the first week of Uh, like intro bio, intro chem, Mm -hmm. Um, I had to leave the program um, because of financial aid mistake. And um, that put my account on hold. So in the meantime, I had to figure out what I was going to do since I couldn't be a student anymore. I couldn't afford to work in the lab and not be a student. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had to get a real job. (laughs) Um, and I wanted one where I could use my degrees because I had earned my master's degree by that point, And I had an undergraduate degree in biology. Um, and it just so happened that a very, very close friend of mine, who's like a sister to me, um, started working at Merck Pharmaceuticals. So I, um, I applied to jobs when there were openings for contract scientist positions. And I got, I got that job. Um, And I was focused on doing clinically relevant research in vaccines. And I felt that that kept me encouraged to still wanting to pursue medicine. Um, At Merck, there are uh, a mixed population of scientists, physician scientists, doctors who are chief medical officers. So seeing everybody sort of doing this thing to advance medicine was inspiring but also, working in corporate America and uh, the pharmaceutical industry made it very clear to me that I wanted to be a practicing clinician. And although this was well and fine for the, for the season that it was meant for, I wanted to be a doctor and I wanted to practice clinically. And that made that very clear. So,
0: good. So, you, you found yeah. something to keep you close to medicine, to keep you motivated. But it yeah. still took a while for you to to get back in the game and retake the MCAT. When you yeah. retook the MCAT the third time, <laughs> it had been several years since you were in classes. How mm-hmm. as a non-traditional student working now, not in classes, how did you approach it the third time to finally do well enough?
2: So I had a long hard discussion uh with my boyfriend. He is an excellent test taker. And he did really well on um SATs, which were also a long time ago for the both of us. <laughs> but his advice was to do questions, to do questions, to sit with the questions, figure out why I'm getting them wrong and right. And I think him showing me how, how to do that and how to execute that helped. Mm-hmm. And it was not an approach that Had occurred to me before then, or maybe it did. And I was just doing it wrong, but it, it helped the way that he broke it down for me. So, um, every morning before work, I would spend three hours doing practice questions. Um, and then on lunch break and after work, I would spend that time reviewing why I got the questions wrong and cross-referencing whether it was because of a gap in content or because I wasn't thinking of the question properly. It's sort of like that get in yeah. the mind of the test maker technique.
0: Yeah, So Perfect.
2: that helped a lot.
0: It <laughs> And it helped, <laughs> and a it lot. helped
2: with um, endurance too. So on yeah. the weekends I would be taking um, full length tests. And so I bought, I bought all of the full length tests yeah. to not run out of material. So that was helpful too. Good. Yeah.
0: You applied your second time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You, How many interviews did you get?
2: <laughs> I got one. You
0: got one interview?
2: One interview. That's
0: all it takes?
2: That's all it takes.
0: During, during the interview, how much of your past struggles came up, and how did you talk about them?
2: Um, to be quite honest, it barely came up. Um, so the first half of the day was learning about the school, learning about the faculty, learning about the curriculum, going on tours. And then the second part of the day was the uh, MMI format. Mm. Yeah. So it was geared more towards getting a feel for how you communicate with people, mm-hmm. Um Am I crazy? <laughs>
0: yep, yep. Are you a serial um, killer? That's my that's my line. Yeah. I
2: guess I'm a little bit crazy to have kept doing this for yeah. so long. Yeah. But um. Do you think also, Do you think
0: mm-hmm? the MMI for somebody with your past, yeah, with your past struggles, applying before and multiple MCATs and and poor undergrad GPA, do you think the MMI helped you or hurt you because you weren't able to discuss those struggles and show that you've overcome and and have that discussion? Huh. Or it's too hard to know because you only had one interview and you got yeah, in. Yeah,
2: it is it yeah. is too hard to know. And the fact that it wasn't really uh, discussed, I, I think the person that asked me that question is one of the teaching professors in the unit now. And he's a personable person. And we had a, a very real conversation about my desire. It was more about a desire to him wanting to be a physician and not giving up. So it, I sort of spoke on it from that. Angle, yeah, and we—I don't know. It was just a very good discussion. It was very heartfelt, and I felt like he understood where I was coming from, which is the point of the interview in the first place. So, yeah, I, I, I think they probably decided that if I made it to the interview, to focus on whether or not I would be. I don't know. I, I actually, I, I don't know. And the more I think about it, I don't know if it hurt or helped. Yeah. But I'm glad that the interview went the way that it did. I felt like I was able to pull from my experiences to answer some of the MMI questions. You're thrown in sort of like these make believe situations Mm -hmm. and you have to respond. And I felt like I could pull from things that I did during my work as a contract scientist and then uh, during my work as an analytical chemist, all of the things that I tried to help make some of the working processes better. I was able to show that off in, in some of the instances. And then like, uh, during all of this time, I had the opportunity to travel to different places, to interact with different people, either traveling for work or traveling for leisure and pull in on some of the life experiences that I've had and sort of show that side to me. So they were able to see that I'm a multifaceted person. And even though I promise to be a good student, I'm also more than just academics and i want to help save the world yeah so
0: and i think what i talk about a lot with the interview process is if you received an interview they obviously know your gpa they know your past struggles they know your mcat scores and they are okay with it okay Mm -hmm. with it enough to say let's bring her in talk Mm -hmm. to her see who she is see if she's a fit for our class so um, yeah I, I don't know if it helps or hurts, but they obviously knew your whole backstory from your your transcripts and your MCAT scores and your personal statement and your extracurriculars when When you submitted your application with your personal statement, your extracurriculars, how much of your backstory, your back struggles did you focus on or or did you try to stay away from that as much as possible?
2: So I'm trying to remember my my application. Um, In the personal statement that we worked together on um, very much in depth, I think that's where I showcased that beyond my scores, this is my dedication and my passion for the dream. This is how long I've been serious about it. And this is how long that I've worked towards it, despite all of the things that have sort of gotten in my way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I sort of used a story to help bring them into the mindset that I was in when it clicked that there's no other way for me to go than to medical school. So, um, it took, I think, six drafts, it took, six or seven. Drafts. It took a few. Yeah, it it takes <laughs> it takes in. several. Yeah, it takes a lot, and it's like one of those open ended questions that you just you can't research mm-hmm. to help answer. You can't you can't cite anything but your own life, and so it's one of the hardest things to write. But I'm glad that one school saw it and wanted to give me a chance. And actually, um, um, with your advice, I actually kept on a schedule to like reach out to schools both before actually submitting and, uh, after submitting to sort of get a feel for it. Like, Hey, I know my application may be coming your way. I just wanted to introduce myself or sort of talk about some of the things that might be setting my application apart in a bad way. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was more outside of the application, the extracurriculars, um, I spent a lot of time um trying to showcase what I added to any experience that I was involved in. Yep. I think. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: They, they, what was the the way that I phrased that is what what was the impact that you had on mm-hmm. that position? Not necessarily, oh, I was a janitor and I mopped. Well, as a janitor, what impact did you have on mm-hmm. on the janitorial services? Did you improve right. any Moppings, <laughs> mopping processes or anything like that. Like You, right. you, can, you can polish up anything and, and talk about the impacts that you had, and it shows who you are much better than just saying, oh, yeah, I, I mopped and I cleaned toilets.
2: Right, yeah. right.
0: Good. Talk about the, the early struggles you had as an undergrad. You obviously improved during your master's. Now that you're in medical school, how much of the early struggles that you had with classes, did any of that creep back up into, into medical school? Or do you think going through all of that and figuring out who who the best NECA is for studying and everything else, do you think that has kind of buffered you from struggling while in medical school?
2: Hmm. It's an interesting question because I feel like... Uh, I don't necessarily have a, ch- a chip on my shoulder for, well, there's definitely an imposter syndrome that you get to experience when you get to medical school, but I don't nope. think it has to do anything with my undergraduate experience. Nope. <laughs> Everybody has that. Right. <laughs> like,
0: right. Are you sure that it was, it was <laughs> this NECA that you accepted? Cause maybe there's another NECA out there.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. And then you have three seconds to think about it before you're <laughs> like, well, I got to study anyway. So <laughs> let me get back to it. But, um, I feel like what I went through to improve in my master's program are a lot of the studying techniques that I'm relying on now. So like more graduate style studying, although I'm finding that this is a different beast. And if I want to get better and better and better and better, um, there's a way to be efficient. And I don't think anybody learns that except for in the context of medical school. If anything, the grit and the stubbornness that we mentioned earlier, I think, is helping me sort of realign value placed on myself. Like, okay, so I'm going through these practice questions or these practice quizzes, but I know I can do this. I know I can understand it. I know I've gotten this far. So I know I'm capable. My my friend has a saying that her, her father told her and her siblings, you're equal to the task. Like I I know I can do that. So I still carry some of that stubbornness over, um, in terms of learning from my undergraduate mistakes, I am reaching out for help a lot more proactively and sooner when I feel that there's something that I've never seen before. I'm not sure of like the best way to study the topic, or I just don't, plain understand what the professor was teaching during class. And I'm not sure what they want us to, to grasp from the lecture. I'm learning to reach out early, um, sit down with people during office hours and, um, ask for help. I think that's a major thing. And I did that. I I think I did that, uh, a little bit in my uh, master's program, um, learning when to ask for help and, how to reach out to faculty if I'm not understanding something.
0: So um, very important. Yeah. Very, very important. Good. Mm-hmm. What, what does future you want to accomplish? What are you hoping to do?
2: <laughs> I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Actually, <laughs> um, My classmates are probably tired of, of hearing that. I, I don't know what specialty I want to go into. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm encouraged to know that it's good to approach the clinical years and third year rotations with an open mind because I get to experience everything with a full open heart, yep. you know. And um, so I'm looking forward to what's going to, I guess, catch my interest when the time comes. But as for now, I I don't Good. I don't know.
0: That's, that's, <laughs> that's a perfect answer. You just know you want to make an impact somehow and some, yes. some way you'll do that. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> for, as as we wrap up here, for the student listening to this who has a poor undergrad GPA, has taken the MCAT several times, has applied and not gotten in, and is is on that edge of should I give up or should I keep going? What what words of wisdom do you have to offer him or her?
2: So it's good to have a good support network to make sure that you're hearing the things that are echoing what's inside of you. So If you know in your heart that this is what you want to do and nobody can convince you otherwise, stick to it, stay positive, find the people who are going to ground you, who are going to sponsor you, who are even going to mentor you to keep you positive, um, to keep you encouraged and stay at it. Um, if there is something that you need to fix or change, be grown about it and change it. There's always room for improvement for everyone. I feel like there are a lot of extrinsic things that go into an application that you need to have to be a viable candidate or to make a cutoff. And I think anybody is able to achieve those things if they stick to it uh, and keep at it and just try to improve.
0: All right, so there you have it. Again, that was NECA 2.7 GPA to now being a first-year medical student, which is amazing. And it's, it took a lot of determination. It took longer than probably she wanted. She had to, to do her master's and to get good grades and prove to medical schools that she could handle the coursework. And she was able to tell her story enough, strong enough in her applications to get that interview, which ultimately led to her acceptance. So I helped NECA shape her application. If you're looking for help with your application, shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net, or you can just go to the website, medicalschoolhq.net, and click on the services tab, and you can see how I can help you with your personal statements, your interview prep, or your application as a whole. Uh, I am limited because I'm just one person to the amount of students that I can help. So if you're interested in working with me, shoot me an email sooner rather than Then later, don't forget, if you're applying to medical school to start in 2018, take a look at our interview that we did with Dr. King Lee of Carl, Illinois College of Medicine and see all of the amazing things that they are doing there at Carl, Illinois to merge engineering and medicine. And don't forget that first class 100% free tuition. I hope you have a great week. Next week, we're gonna talk to a physician who started a small little Twitter account that has grown much, much bigger. That's next week here on The Pre-Med Years.